love to start by asking you to imagine a scenario, right? Imagine that you're at home one evening and you get a bit peckish, you're home alone, and you go sort of rummaging around the cupboard to find something to eat, and you find a Toblerone left over from Christmas, unwrapped, so you're like jackpot, and then you take it out and, and there's a tag and you realize that it is actually um, a gift that was intended not just for you, to, but f to be shared between you know, your family or your housemates or your colleagues or whatever, but they're not around. So what would you do? Would you A, just put it back in the cupboard and think, no, let's, let's open that when we're all around to, to enjoy it together? B, would you perhaps open it but only eat your share and then save the rest? Or C, would you just demolish the whole thing and then put the packaging in next door's recycling so that there was no evidence of what happened? So I just want, who here would go for option C out there? That's good. It's good to see that you're willing to be honest about your dishonesty. Now, I know that's a little bit of a silly scenario, but, um, but it has some similarity with the real question that I, that I want to ask you tonight. And it's this. How will you respond when God blesses you? Now, I realize that some of you, you might be here tonight, you're not sure whether you believe that God exists or not, but assuming he does, and uh, imagine that he was to ask your, your biggest prayer, how would you respond to that? I mean, something life-changing, not just like getting Forrest back in the premiership or getting Bake Off back on the BBC. I mean, like, you know, a big career breakthrough or a, a financial surprise that just cleared all your debts or, or um, a, a new relationship that, that changed your life. If you found that you had been blessed unexpectedly and, and significantly, whatever that might look like for you, how, how do you think you'd be likely to, re to respond? And, and specifically, a bit like the Toblerone situation, do you think that you would simply just start to enjoy and embrace that blessing for yourself, or, or would it prompt you to look beyond yourself? You know, would I just keep it all for me, or would I be prompted to start to share it with others? Would that blessing spur me to be more generous or more uh, thankful and hospitable to others and helpful of others? So I think most of us would certainly like to think that, that it would um, prompt us to be more sharing. But would we? What I want to do tonight is, is consider that question. And I uh, think... For us to spend some time thinking about how we would like to respond, at least, so that if and when one day we do realise that God has blessed us, um, we'll know exactly what to do. And as we as we look at this question, we're going to look at a story from the Bible um, in the Old Testament, which is the bit of the Bible that talks about everything that happened before Jesus. It's in Two Kings, um, chapter six. So if you've got a Bible, it's worth opening it opening it there. And just to give you a little bit of um, context here. Um, about, about 900 years before Jesus, there was a civil war in the nation of Israel, the, the people of God, and it sort of broke into a northern and a southern kingdom. And then what happened to both of those kingdoms over, over a series of several hundred years was both of those kingdoms really fell into ruin um, through poor leadership by this succession of, of, of wicked kings who just led the people really away from God. And during that time, God sent um, prophets, um, and we read about those in the Bible as well, people like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, who sort of sent this message to, to warn um, the people that they were walking away from God and try and sort of um, encourage them to turn back to him. But the kings 
They only ever really listened to the prophets um, when they were in dire straits. Um, and then as soon as they felt safe or secure, they would just turn back to their wicked ways. And that's just what happened over, over a long time. And, and this particular story is in the midst of that. And um, it concerns the northern king, kingdom of Israel during a time when they were encountering some tensions with um, the Arameans who were to the north of them. So 2 Kings 6, um, starting in verse 24. It says, Some time later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. This is where they were. There was such a great famine in the city, the siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. So this is kind of describing a dire situation. You know, I don't know how much 80 shekels of silver it is, but it's a lot, evidently a lot of money. And effectively, when you think about the fact that they, the Israelites didn't eat donkeys, and a donkey's head is not exactly the most choice cut of meat, is it? It's describing a situation where there was just no food, no food in the city. And um, I'm gonna admit at this point that I've been kind of looking forward to this talk because it's gonna give me an excuse to use one of my favorite words, um, which is the word ensconce, okay? Yeah? Everybody say ensconce. It's a good word, eh? And it means to settle snugly or securely. Um, so for, I've got some examples of what that might look like. Here's some ensconced. Oh. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, so it kind of means that, but it also it could be used to say, to describe a situation where you cover or shelter something and hide it securely, the way a defending army might um, take shelter in a fortified sort of castle or something in a Lord of Ringsy kind of way, like this. Um, and so that's what we're talking about in this situation. So after generations of rebellious kings, um, Israel is facing the consequences of walking away from God, and they are ensconced in the city, surrounded by the Aramean army. And um, actually, if you read on the next few verses, we get a sobering view of how bad the situation is because we read that they were turning, they were resorting to cannibalism. That's how bad it was. And I know it's not a very pleasant thing, but when the king hears about that, he, he reacts, obviously, and he reacts like a lot of human leaders. He, he starts to look around for somebody else to blame. Um, and, and in, and in the, ch the chapters building up to that, he'd been turning to the prophet Elisha for tactical guidance in this conflict, which had, which had helped protect Israel. But, but now things are bad. He decides that Elisha must have given him some, some dodgy advice along the way. So he threatens to kill Elisha. And so really the situation is just a big mess. But let's listen to how Elisha responds. In chapter seven, he says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seer of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Elijah makes this ridiculously bold prophecy. He says, you know, like in literally 24 hours, in one day's time, effectively you'll be able to walk into Tesco's and everything will be buy one, get one free. That's the way he's sort of talking. It'd just be pennies to buy all the food you want. And of course, people responded in complete disbelief. So what happened? We're reading a little bit later. It says, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So 
let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. And if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. So at dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. So the, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and they entered one of the tents and they ate and they drank and then they took silver, gold and clothes and they went off and hid them and then they returned and they entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. And then they said to each other, cheeky, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. So let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So that's what they do. On, on hearing the news, the king, initially he's suspicious, so he sends off some scouts to go and just check the story out. And then they return um, and, and confirm what's been going on. And so, it says, so the messengers returned and reported to the king. And then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. And so, a seer of the finest flour sold for a shekel and two seers of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. It's a cool story, isn't it? So what strikes you most about it? For me, it's the way that God is just completely and utterly in control. His mastery of the situation, his, his sovereignty, to use a posh word. When human kings are under siege, um, they start to look for sort of human solutions, don't they? They look at maps and, and tactics and armies and they think about how they're going to negotiate their way out of it and they think about who they're going to blame on, on Twitter because that's how human kings respond to those kind of situations. But God, of course, he has, he has, uh, he has other options. Elsewhere in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I think we see that, don't we, in, in God's battle tactics here. He just, he just, this impossible situation, he just goes, I'm just gonna flip it upside down and sort it out. I don't know if you've ever faced a situation in your life that, that seemed impossible, that seemed like a real pickle, but then you prayed about it and, and it turned out completely different to how you anticipated. Have you ever had that situation? I think sometimes um, we, can, we, can, we can even miss it when it happens. We can sort of not notice God's hand at work. But if you think about it, you know, maybe just reflect back over the last couple of years. What are some of the big things that have, that have really burdened you that you've brought, brought to God in prayer? And I wonder, as you think of those, were there any situations that when you reflect on it, you think, actually, it got resolved in the end, didn't it? I think sometimes when that happens to me, I don't, I don't notice God doing it. I can think of times, for example, that I've, had, um, I've faced a really difficult um, conversation with a person. Maybe there's been a bit of tension, a bit of a, something that needs to be sorted out. Maybe sometimes with, with people in this room even, and uh, I've faced this difficult conversation. I thought, oh, this is gonna go so badly, and I've, and I've prayed about it, 
and saying, God, I, I just can't see how this is going to resolve itself. Would you just help? And then, um, and then I meet that person. And, uh, and as, as you start talking, it transpires that, that they've been doing a bit of thinking. And actually, maybe their situation has changed a little bit. And, and as we talk, things really turn a corner. And it just goes really well. And then as I say goodbye, invariably, the first thing that goes through my head is, well, I think I handled that pretty well. Well, well, well done, Pastor Bodders. And, and I think God must be just thinking, you Wally, you absolute Wally. Because I think we need to be careful to reflect and recognize when God's hand has been at work. And we need to thank him, not just for the battles that he helps us fight, but for the battles that he spares us from altogether. When we face situations in life that seem completely insurmountable, you know, so often we do, our initial reaction is to start looking for human solutions, to think, how are we gonna dig our way out of this? But God has other ways, because he is sovereign. And you might be here and you might be thinking, well, I really hope that's true, but the situation that I'm in at the moment, it's just, it's, it's terrible. I just can't see a way through it. How can I know that God is ultimately in control? How can I trust that? And I'd say, well, the one thing that I can encourage you with is that, is that he has a track record of keeping his promises. Just think about this story. It all unfolds exactly as Elisha, the prophet, foretold. God was effectively saying, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you exactly what's gonna happen over the next 24 hours so that when you get to the end of it all, you can, you can mark my words and know that I'm God and know that I'm in control. When we face difficult situations, we can go to this book and we can find story after story after story like this of fulfilled promises that encourage us. And, and that's, if you're in a situation like that right now, that's what I'd encourage you to do. And I would say, the thing, the thing about all these stories, including the story of the siege, all of them, in a way, they, they, they point towards the greatest fulfilled promise of them all. The ultimate battle that God fought on behalf of his people. It points towards Jesus and his emphatic victory over sin and death on the cross. And just think for a second about some of the parallels between that story and this story of the siege. At the cross, in the same way, all hope was lost. At the cross, um, Jesus' enemies surrounded him. At the cross, generation upon generations of, of the consequences of rebellion and sin bore down on him. At the cross, there was no foreseeable path to victory, but victory had been foretold. Jesus had said, I will be handed over, I will be sacrificed. The prophets had predicted it all, all the details, his, his, his robe, and his, well, they'll cast lots for his clothing. But of course, Jesus had also promised, in three days, I'll conquer death and I'll return. And that was the most boldest foretelling of them all. But he accomplished it. He pulled it off. And he invites us into that victory in our lives. So, so whatever you're facing today, no matter how bad it is, I don't want to make light of it or dismiss it, but it might be an addiction or financial concerns or relationships that are in a mess. You might just feel in a, in a, in a place of wilderness, in, in sort of reeling from bereavement. Whatever it is, I want to remind you that, that he is the ultimate victor, that he is in control. He has a plan to save his people and a plan for our future, and only he has the authority and the power to, to pull that off. So just, so just keep going, keep praying, 
And maybe if there is a situation for you that's just heavy and weighing on you like that, let's just pause for just a moment and, and just, just reflect for a second and, and bring that to God. Just lay that before him. Just take a moment to do that. Whatever it is, he can carry it. He's big enough. And I think that really is the first and foremost thing that this story tells us. It tells us that God is sovereign. But I think, moving on, I think this story, it also has a lot to say about humanity, about us as well. And that's what I'm going to focus on now. Um, and it really relates to the, the little story of the lepers, as we read. Um, of all the characters in this story, I think they were perhaps the most hopeless of all, weren't they? They were left there, marginalized at the city gate, thinking, you know, well, why stay here until we die? If we go there, we die. If we go there, we die. And so they had basically no hope. Um, and they handed themselves over to the Aramaeans. But then to their amazement, they walk into this deserted camp, sort of Mary Celeste style, um, with all these abandoned riches and, and plentiful storehouses. And I, I love that little story. And the thing that I love about that story, I think most of all, is that their journey from, from just complete hopelessness to complete salvation, it reminds me of, of, of my own story. In fact, I'd say it is a reflection of every Christian's story. We all start out in the same place. We all start out broken, burdened by the wounds of life, um, but above all, burdened by our guilt and our shame and the regrets of, of, of the broken choices that we've made in our life. And we and we encounter Jesus and we hear about his grace and his forgiveness. And he, and he saves us from death to life. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it explains, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Those, those lepers, they were as good as dead really, weren't they? It's by grace, it says, that you have been saved. You know, it's... I, just if you're here tonight and you are on a journey of, of exploring the Christian faith, I realize as I share that it might not mean a great deal to you, um, but I, it's hard for me to really express how amazing that is, that I'm what, I'm, what I'm talking about there. Um, the Bible um, uses language to sort of emphasize how radical the change is in us when we start to follow Jesus. It uses language like um, we go from, from, from being in the darkness to, to coming out into the light, from being lost to being found, from being a slave to being set free, from being dead to alive. And you know, as I reflect on, on my journey, um, that has been my experience in a real and tangible way. And, and God has blessed me in so many ways as I've been following him um, in, in practical ways. He's given me a roof over my head and he's given me a wonderful family and he's given me a, a wonderful church family. But above all, he's blessed me with redemption, with salvation, with freedom from, from my sins. He's, he's blessed me with this new life, both now and the promise of that life forever. So, you know, reflecting back on that question that I asked at the start, how will I respond on the day that God blesses me? Well, the thing is, as I reflect, I realize he already has blessed me. He already has blessed me in incredible ways, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, 
And so the most pressing question is not how am I going to respond when he blesses me, it's how must I respond in light of all that he's done for me. And I think there's a, there's a lesson in the story of the lepers again um, for us because how did they respond when they found a blessing? Well, initially, they did exactly what you'd expect um, starving, hopeless people to do. They, they started filling their own bellies, didn't they? And they started gathering all the, all the valuables and hiding them away. They tucked into the Toblerone, effectively. But then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves, they said. Just that one moment of, of reflection, realization, it sent them back to the city under siege. And as a consequence of that, the whole city got saved. I love the way that God, he, he could have saved that city in so many ways, couldn't he? He could have sent sort of bread from heaven to fall down and sustain the Israelites through the siege. He'd done that sort of thing before. He could have sent an, an angelic army to just sweep away the Arameans. He'd done that sort of thing before. But on this occasion, he chose instead to partner in his plan to save the city with the least in the city, these four hopeless lepers. And that's really my second point, that God, he invites us to participate in sharing the spoils of his victory. You know, think in this situation, God had done all the muscle work to achieve the victory, hadn't he? He defeated the army, and there were all the spoils, the, the, the gold, the silver, the food, just abandoned at the camp. And of course, these guys got the privilege of sharing those spoils with the people in the city, what they described as sharing the good news. That's how they described it in the story. And of course, it's the same for us as, as followers of Jesus. Jesus has done all the hard work to win the victory on the cross. And then he invites us as his followers to go and share the spoils of his victory, the good news that death has been conquered, that light is driving out the darkness, that those who are bound up in slavery can be set free, that those who are dead can be reborn into new life. And, and notice, as God enlisted people to do this job, he didn't choose the elite in the city, did he? He chose the least in the city. And I think that's comforting because in the same way, Jesus doesn't just use the superstars amongst us today, does he? He's just looking for willing people who, who when they realize how much they've been blessed, when they reach a point where they realize they've been saved, they're willing to go back to the city under siege and share the good news. Now, you know, it didn't go completely to plan, did it? They, it wasn't until the lepers had, had stashed a load of stuff away for themselves um, that they looked around and started to think about everybody else. And I think in the same way, sometimes our own brokenness can hinder us. It can take us a little while to come round to God's agenda sometimes. And uh, some of us might have wasted a bit of time stashing our own blessings first before we start to think about others and... And the reality is we can't, we can't change that. We can't change what's happened in the past. But what we can do is, is change how we're gonna respond today and from here on. And I think there's a bit of a challenge for us in the story of this siege. I was also challenged by a story that I read recently on the, um, the Open Doors website. Open Doors is a charity um, that, um, that supports um, the persecuted church around the world. And this story um, is, um, 
is the story of a lady called Kim Sang-hwa, although they have changed the name. And she grew up in North Korea, where obviously the, the communist regime oppresses the Christian faith and um, drives people into secret um, hiding. Um, and she grew up in a Christian family, but had to practice her faith in secret. And she said, sometimes my father met people in a secret location. Many children of believers came to that location too and learned the Bible. We prayed together, and among the people visiting the secret meetings were some non-believers too, even spies. So they would send spies in to try and root out the Christians. When one of those visitors was dying, my father went to see him on his deathbed, and he confessed, I know everything about you, your family, and your faith. I was a spy, and I was ordered to watch you. And my father asked, you're a good man. I never told anyone that you're a Christian. And then he said, tell me how I can become a Christian too. In the final moments of his life, this man repented and entered the kingdom of God. My father was able to lead him there. Kim, eventually she had to leave North Korea when um, she and her husband were discovered and they, and, and they say fled, escaped this dangerous journey, and eventually they, they found safety in South Korea. And um, several years later, Kim says this. She says, my dreams and hopes haven't changed much since I left North Korea. There is much more freedom here in the South, but our belief is the same. I wish I could go back to North Korea and share the gospel with the people there and have fellowship with the local believers. I love their faith and I'll be ready to die for the gospel. In that story, it just reminds me that God is sovereign. He's in control. In the most dark environment, he can, he can take the message of the gospel and, and, and just plunge it into the heart of that spy and win a victory, win his life. But what's more, I think this story is so challenging. When you, when you think about Kim and the way she responds, even when she's been delivered to safety, she says, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to North Korea and share the gospel with the people there. Her heart yearns for the people under siege. When I read that, you know, I found it challenging because I think about the way that I, you know, struggle to share my faith with my neighbors in this country where there's absolutely complete freedom to do that. The way that sometimes I have an apathy to, to pray when I get up in the morning, or the reticence that I have sometimes to be generous with the, with the resources that I've been given. And it, and it just makes me feel a little bit like, well, a little bit like those, those lepers in the story when they got to the point where they were holding all these blessings, these treasures, and they realized, oh man, this is, this is a day of good news. I'm supposed to share this, and I'm just keeping it for myself. What I'm doing is not right, they said. You know, it strikes me that when a person walks into this church for the first time, they experience something in a, in a spiritual sense that is a bit like what those lepers experienced in a physical sense when they walked into that camp. It's like walking into this abundance of warmth and love and security and, and, and friendship. And I'm not sort of saying that just to sort of big us up. That's, I'm just objectively reflecting the way that new, new people describe it when you, when you chat to them. Because it's God's handiwork after all, and he's done 
a sovereign thing here at Trent Vineyard. As you know, as John was talking, we are we're a really blessed church, aren't we? We've got this big extended family and all these resources and lots of wise leaders and things. And and and, and, to, and you know, we're just in the process of opening the most incredible facility for our children. We are so blessed. And as we count all of those blessings, I think there's a little bit of a warning for us in the story of the siege, and it's this. On the day that you find yourself surrounded by blessings, Trent Vineyard, don't ensconce yourself within them. Let's instead follow the example of these lepers and run and return to the city to share them out. Let's embrace Jesus' teaching. Freely you have received, freely give. Or um, last week, John quoted John Wimber. We get to give, to get to give to get to give we're blessed to be a blessing and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do with this the offering um, that, we, that we just took for Derwent Valley Vineyard we've been blessed we're looking to bless so that Derby can have something like this one of the things that John also talked about last week when he was talking about all the um, church plants that have gone out of this church was if you're here he said that we're just about to have our first effective like grandchild church because Cardiff Vineyard um, is planting out another church down in, in Cornwall. And this Sunday was the last Sunday um, for a couple of members of the church, Dave and Nikki Kite, who've been part of this church for years because um, they've felt prompted and called by the Lord to go down there and help that church establish. And um, this week um, in small group, we, we were praying with them and they were just reflecting on that journey. And uh, they're about to, you know, just up sticks and take their kids and move to this place where they don't know anybody. And Nikki was saying, you know, why, why would we leave all that we have here, this church family and our friends and, and this city where we've been so happy for so long? It's a good question, isn't it? But it's this principle, because we get to give. Because when we're blessed, it's not just for ourselves. And when God nudges us and prompts us to share, we have to do it. We have to respond. Now, for most of us, we're not called to sell our houses and go in that way, but we are called to, to go across the street or to walk across the office or to start a conversation with a stranger, to start to share the blessing of the good news of Jesus. And so before we leave today, I've just got a few sort of examples of, of things that we might do. Um, and um, there's one in particular I want to share that we, hopefully we can all get involved in. Um, and it's during the build-up to Easter this year, we would love for every small group in the church to um, celebrate the season of Easter a couple, in the couple of weeks before it in some way by, by doing some kind of um, activity that will get out into the community as, as a blessing to the community. So, for example, you might um, open up your garden and do an Easter egg hunt for kids in the neighborhood or you might organize an Easter party or make like Easter hampers and give cool stuff away. You know, there's freedom to be uh, creative with it and um, if you are a small group leader, um, just to let you know, like sorry to sort of just spring this on you like this on a Sunday, it might be that you've gone ahead and planned the whole term ahead um, but hopefully we've got enough notice to, to sort of jig things around a little bit and 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 you will be hearing more from us about this. We'll give you a bit more detail and tell you about some of the resources that you can use. Um, but hopefully that's something that we can all get involved in. But of course, there are many, many ways that we can be involved in sharing the blessings that have been entrusted to us. 
Um, you know, I think the, the, the kids' centre is a great example of that. Over the next few weeks, um, you know when you get into work on Monday and somebody says, oh, what did you get up to in the weekend? We've got a great opportunity to say, oh, it was unbelievable because at church we've just opened this, this um, building for the kids in our church and it's fantastic. And if, oh, you've got kids, why don't you, why don't you bring, you've got to bring them along next Sunday and, and, and just, you know, they'll have a great time. And while you, they do that, you and I can grab a latte and we can go into the church as well because I think you'll enjoy that as well. It's just a great opportunity to just share that because that building, yes, in a way, we've, of course, we've built it as a place where our children can be nurtured in their faith. But for every one of our children, there are, there are scores of kids out there in the city who've yet to hear about Jesus. We built it for them. It might be that you are blessed in other ways. You might be relationally blessed. You might have lots of friends. If that's you, maybe it's um, an opportunity to think about who do you know who, who perhaps is a bit more marginalized or lonely that you could share that blessing that you have with. We might be financially blessed and resourced. And maybe for you, you'll, you'll leave today with a renewed sense of urgency to pass that blessing on by being generous to others, um, especially those in need. Or a renewed urgency to open up your home that you've been blessed with in hospitality. It will look different for different ones of us. Now, of course, I appreciate that um, for some of you here, though, tonight, you might feel as though you're in a place where you just have nothing left to give. Um, maybe you're in a season of difficulty where you're struggling uh, to keep yourself going, let alone to look after others. And if that's you, um, we want, I want to be really clear that we want to be a church that supports you and walks with you through that season. And that's what, that's what small groups are all about. And that's why we do prayer down the front here every, every service. And that's why if you go over to the Connect area as well, there are, there are various different practical ways that we can support people with different needs through um, the Arches and Compassion Ministries and Trent Debt Advice and all kinds of things. So head over there if you feel like you need some practical support. But no matter what you're going through, in the midst of that, I want to encourage you that, that as long as you have faith in Jesus, as long as you treasure the message of the gospel in your heart, then you will always have something to share with others. And what's more, it's the most valuable thing of all. So today really is a day of good news. And there are people out there in the city who are under siege so let's not keep this good news to ourselves. Let's take it out there.